0: And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, this is my favorite part of the show. Get to interview uh, an expert in the field that hopefully can bring some clarity to us. And uh, you know, this is a macro market. This is a macroeconomic driven market. It's all about macro. And when we're in that situation, in my opinion, there's only one guy to talk to. It's my main man, Tony Greer. Tony, great to have you back on the show, man. It's been a long time. How are things? It's great, man. Thanks for having me, Zach. It's been a while. I look forward to getting caught up. Where do we leave off for Christ's sake? Good golly, man. Um, it's
1: several a- worlds ago, right?
0: Good gosh. I yeah. I uh it's funny because and and you can probably speak to this better, you know, and more this is what you do. Uh for years and years. It was like macro was a ghost. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. it just didn't matter. Nobody cared. And here we are. It, it, you know, as, as always is the case with markets, it goes from not mattering to being the only thing that matters <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and it's a mess, right? It's a mess in terms of trying to figure it out. I, I was speaking with my partner who manages our algorithmic portfolio And uh, we both ran portfolios. He was on, uh, I I believe he was at Graham Capital running their commodities or on their commodities desk uh, during the financial crisis. I was just running a retail book, much, much, much smaller than I am now, uh, going through the financial crisis. This has been decidedly more difficult, at least from our perspective. Kind of give us just an overview of, you know, what's going on in markets, what's driving things. And then we can kind of dig down into the finer details.
1: Yeah, Zach, that's that's a good way to put it. Um, a good way to get started. All right. It it definitely starts with the macro. Um, I think that we have to start in the rates market, right? I mean, you know, the yield differential right now between the US and you know, Japan. Let's start with that, right? Dollar yen blowing through one hundred fifty, right? The reason that's going on is because two year uh two year notes continue to press new highs. Um we pressed the high of four sixty five this morning. The ten-year in Japan yields zero, right? <laughs> so that's why there, that's why there's a constant run to buy more dollars, um, you know, and own the U.S. paper over Japan. That's why that the dollar is wrecking that part of the world, right? We've got dollar yuan, Chinese yuan now, you know, through historic levels that we haven't seen since two thousand eight. We've got the Bank of England intervening in the guilt market to lend the bid there, because it went bidless for a while with, U- with U.K. yields spiking higher. Why do we are yields spiking higher? Because of the political posture of basically, of the um, net zero energy policy, right Here in the U.S. and in Europe, we're going net zero. We're getting off of uh, fossil fuels. We are moving the center of the sort of commodity-based hegemon from the US in oil over to China in metals, so that they'll be the center of the you know the new economy. And what's gone on with that attack on supply is that we've seen massive commodity inflation, most notably in the energy space. So since that energy inflation just doesn't seem to want to go away, the commodity inflation just doesn't seem to want to go away, headline inflation does not want to subside. That's why the rate market is keeping the Fed's hand to the fire and saying, we're not letting you pivot. You've got to worry about inflation. And so yields keep shooting higher. Higher yields are wrecking certain areas of the market, starting with housing, right? The housing markets come to a full stop. If you had your house up for sale with rates at zero, take the for sale sign down, right? (laughs) Rates are at 6% now. Nobody's looking to pay that. Right. And nobody's looking to, buy, to, to pay for a mortgage at that level. So, you know, with that coming to a grinding halt, it's going to have, a uh, you know, that effect rolling through industry where that's going to slow down various, um, you know, subsectors of that industry. Um, and then you've got the equation over in Europe. Where, you know, you've got the Dutch GTF natural gas price backing off but you've got a lot of heavy industry shutting itself down right zinc smelting in europe is down to almost zero hmm. they're 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 operating at about 30% of their fertilizer creation capacity right now because natural gas prices and therefore ammonia prices are so high so that's a little bit of the rundown behind what's driving the rates market and why that's had so much pressure on you know stocks and bonds quite honestly, right? It's the year that nothing is working. And so, you know, in this scenario, the only thing that you can find that's working are ENP stocks, you know, and, and oil services stocks. And those are still the sectors that are, you know, up on the year. And I think that when portfolio managers are getting blown out of sectors on the downside, like, you know, social media and cloud storage, and, you know, some of those subsectors of tech that have gotten destroyed, they look to roll into a sector that's still performing, and in my opinion, the energy sector is still intact, um, you know, and and poised to make gains on the year. So that's my initial data dump. I want to make sure I get the floor back to you for some questions, Zach, and you can guide this wherever you want to go.
0: No, man, I know I, you covered a lot there. I w- yeah. one of the one of the things um, you know pivoting over to the energy side. One of the things that's fascinating to me is. You know, and and you and I both know how tricky markets are. So so, you know, I'm not saying <laughs> that I know what's gonna I don't, you know, I I tell our listeners all the time the only guy whose opinion doesn't matter is the one who tells you that he's certain, right? Yeah. Um so when when we look at what one of the fascinating things I think about the energy space and the energy stocks is despite all this talk, despite all this fanfare and people going, oh, it's performing so well, Tony, these things are still dirt, dirt cheap um you know and and i there's some cheaper than others but i kind of look at that you know you you hear the bull and bear argument people like well you know you got to get out of these things cuz oil's going to 65 or 70 and i'm like well a we don't know that and b have you done the work on these things because a lot of these things at 65 to 70 are still bloody cash machines um do you think where 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 is your outlook i, I i'm of the opinion that everything going on in the world is going to lead to demand destruction. I think you're already starting to see it. Um, how hard, where, 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 do you see oil going from here? What do you think we're going to be range bound? What, what, is your feel on the energy markets in general? Yeah, Zach, I think that there's a really
1: great trade lining up. I really do. Right. I, you know, we, if you pay close attention to the energy markets, you know that the, the standout seller has been the SPR release. Right. Right. And so we've got, The Biden administration, being you know opportunistic with his midterm petroleum reserve, (laughs) right? He he decided that is no longer strategic petroleum reserve. It is his midterm petroleum reserve that he is going to use to try to get gas prices down. If you notice, you didn't hear him say anything about gas prices um, after he quietly and secretly signed the executive order on the first day he got into office that shut down drilling and shut down leasing on federal lands, right? There was no communication about that. Now that the gas price has quintupled, you're hearing a lot out of the White House. Here's our plan. Here's our fact sheet. We're going to sell the SPR to lower gas prices. Then we're going to buy it back at lower prices. And it's like Saudi Arabia is across the pond running OPEC, getting paid successively higher prices by their Asian customers for oil and they're over here watching the U.S. paper market come apart because Biden is selling the SPR, right? So you've got a situation where OPEC is going to continue to tighten to account for whatever lack of demand that we're going to see in an economic drawdown. So I don't know if it's a smart bet to think that oil prices are going much lower if OPEC is going to continue to adjust output to you know, go to ease up into a slower economy. Um, and mm-hmm. you've got the situation where gasoline demand and diesel demand is still pretty strong, right? Yeah. You've got diesel, diesel supplies are still cascading lower, which is keeping the exchange extremely tight and backwardated, right? We saw the front month diesel spread go from five bucks to 40 bucks, <laughs> right? No, no VDs, right? That, that's just an indication there is no diesel in New York Harbor. Wow. So when, you know, when you've got that tight situation in the diesel market, you've got relatively robust gasoline demand, you've got crack spreads that are wildly elevated, what that does is put refineries in a position to print money, right with with crack spreads at, you know above $30 a barrel, they can buy WTI at you know 80 90 $100 a barrel crack it into heat and gas and make a wild profit on that. They're still set up to have huge margins. So the, the, if you look at the refiner charts, they're all in, you know, trending bull markets. And that has to do with the gasoline demand being steady the crack bids remaining firm. And really the E and P and refiner companies are set up for great success in this market. Then you see Schlumberger and the oil services side blow earnings out to the upside. And cause that sector to take the lead today and you know you're painting a pretty robust picture for the energy sector which is standing on its feet this year
0: yeah so and i mean that's been my read you know again we don't really nobody knows for sure where oil is going but i just look at the it's good to hear you say that it confirms sort of what i'm looking at meaning It just doesn't seem kind of feels like it's just a a, like, you know, like a beach ball getting pushed under the water, you know, it gets hit and then it's just going to pop right back up. Right. Well, well,
1: exactly. You know, he's, you can't sell the SPR forever. Right. So the SPR is a finite amount of oil. Um, You know, there's another set of congressional oil sales that I think the Biden administration is going to bring all the way forward to sell the oil that they would have sold over the course of the year. Sell that oil all before midterms to try to keep, you know, pressure on the price. In my opinion, I don't think it's going to be politically necessary or as palatable for Biden to try to lower the energy price after midterms. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At that point, what's going to be done is going to be done. And you know, whether or not getting the gas price from five to four made a difference or not, we'll find out. Right? Yeah. So I got a feeling that on the other side of the election in two weeks or two and a half, three weeks, whatever it is. Um, I have a feeling that there's going to be much less impetus by the administration to focus on those optics. And if they don't focus on the optics of gas prices on the other side of midterms, and they don't just keep coming out with SPR sales, maybe realizing that they're going to have to refill it at higher prices, I feel like oil is just going to get up and go and trade 95 bid at 100 for a while right after the midterms, if not higher right the physical markets are very short in supply and demand is not waning as badly as the sort of government media complex would like you to believe about the economy it's just not that weak or at least gas demand globally just is not falling off that much so we well, still got a pretty yeah we still got a pretty good picture for the emp space oil services refiners everything like that looks good to me
0: yeah it's boy wild market okay so <clears throat> switching over uh switching over to the dollar, you hit on that one. And I think that is a uh <laughs> I was talking to a guy on Twitter this morning. He's like, you know, everybody's trying to dunk on everybody on the dollar and blah blah blah. And it's yeah. it's stupid. And I, I looked at him, I went, you know, hey, it's not about dunking, in my opinion. You know, this is probably the number one thing in global macro right now that is yeah. you know, that is it that is just owning uh everything right i mean it's just everything is floating around the dollar right now wh- 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 do you think this run can continue um do you think and if so how much higher when i say higher i'm referencing the dxy and i know it's not a perfect index or a perfect way to look at the dollar right and and i'm not saying it's going higher and i'm not you know i'm not making a call but i just look at it tony it's really hard for me to envision dollar weakness anytime in the near term um where where do you right. see that going yeah, you know we're in the same boat, Zach. Because I'm a, I'm a price action guy, and you know looking
1: at dollar price action, you know you you just say, well, it doesn't quit, right? It just doesn't stop, right? You've got the leader in dollar yen, you've got a perfectly good reason for that to blow out to the upside the way the interest rate differential is spreading out. What we've done is we've drawn two central banks out of the shadows, right? And this is really relevant to me. Um, you know, since the, U, since the Bank of England stepped into the gilt market, gilt yields have basically, aside from today, gilt yields have backed off, right? So gilt yields have peaked at four and a half percent. That's essentially the Bank of England's line in the sand. They haven't gone back there, right? That's wildly relevant. The Bank of Japan has stepped into the market in Japan, um, to stabilize the currency a little bit, it's not working in the currency, but they're stabilizing the bond market, even though there's nobody else in it but them. They've still got to stabilize the bond market, so you know we've got two central banks have come out of the woodwork to support their own bond market. in my opinion, that is going to sort of finally slow down the dollar rise, right If you notice. The pound hasn't traded to a new low since the Bank of England stepped in. The euro has not traded to a new low since the Bank of England stepped in. What you've had is the Chinese yuan and the yen over in Asia continuing to implode, right? Part of it has to do with China's, you know, zero COVID policy and weakening economy. A lot of it has to do with the interest rate differential between the US and Japan. The thing about the dollar rate is that it's not going to stop until yields stop going up. Right. So we're kind of looking for that Icarus print in yields like we're looking for that Icarus print in the dollar where unsustainable means unsustainable. Right. And it can't go up forever. So I don't know what the catalyst is, you know, to pop that dollar bubble. Um, you know, we may have to just get to a point where we have an absolute dislocation in the bond market where we finally get a tradable low in bonds. Right. Treasuries have been a one-way train lower all year. The only chance we have at respite now is if there's a dislocation lower that you can buy, right? A capitulative type of move where you see yields dislocate 50 basis points higher and the bond market coming apart in the pre-market and then finally potentially getting back on its feet for a total reversal moment. Right. That's the only way that I can think of that we're going to get to that capitulative point and the bond market's going to stop. Right, so we're, at least we're getting to some levels. Like I tweeted out this morning, in two-year yields, you know, at least you, as you approach five percent now, you're approaching a level that you look back on historically that was a recent peak, and you say, okay, maybe it'll hold there. So if some of these rate level rate markets finally find their peak, the dollar will eventually work its way out and and finally sell off. And I think if the dollar backs off, Zach, we're going to get a really really good spin out of the commodity market. So you know i think you got to re- really be continue to be careful how you're positioned here and i continue to tell my clients to stay away from technology and focus on natural resources
0: yeah i couldn't from your lips to god's ears pal it yeah. would you do you think it'd be fair to <clears throat> to to look at this And and tell me where I'm wrong, but I'm I'm looking at this whole bond dollar situation right now, and it really seems to me like you've got a bit of a doom loop going on, right? Mm -hmm. The the higher the dollar goes, the higher the demand for bonds goes, right? And just kind of re, do you think that's an accurate way to look at it? Do you think that's or 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 am I looking at it wrong?
1: Yeah, no, Zach, I have Yeah, you know, that makes sense. You know, unfortunately, you know, it is a doom loop, you know, like we, we, we are not able to get out of it. You know, we're not able to. It, it sounds like a doom loop, I feel, as reflective of the difficult predicament that the Federal Reserve is in, right? With, with the Federal Reserve, they had been trying to spark inflation for years, right? <laughs> they finally got what they wish for. Now they can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. Right now, they're now they're literally kneecapping the economy to try to slow demand down because the Federal Reserve knows that politically, the attack on supply is not going to stop. The attack on supply is never going to let up. Right. What are they telling you about how they're going to react to this energy crisis? Stimmy checks, bro. More (laughs) checks. Checks on top of checks. Right. Stimulus plans on top of stimulus plans. What are we going to call them? We'll call them the Inflation Reduction Act. These people don't know. (laughs) Right. You just name it that. And then you actually have every senator in Congress go around and say, well, we know this is going to cause inflation. But the sheeple don't
0: know. Right. So the Biden
1: administration is going to keep on doing what they're doing.
0: We got it. We got to get more gas to put out this fire right? Uh, <laughs> so, it. so pivot to go to the Fed for a little bit. And and the reason, the reason I, I, I th- this was probably the thing I was looking forward to talking to you most because you come at it from a, I mean, let's be, let's be honest. Right. And I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but there's just a lot of charlatans in our business, you know, that want to stand, well, this is how it's going to play out, you know, uh, and you approach it from just a, a complete, just like you said, price action, you're looking at markets, you're looking When I look at what the Fed has done so far, all of this talk about are they going to raise another 75? And again, correct me where I'm wrong, but I'm looking at it right now going raise another 75? If you just hold here for another six months, you're going to implode this entire economy. I I don't even think they can hold here. And now I'm not saying they're not going to raise again. From the sounds of it, it sounds like they are. Do, Do you think that this economy can operate in a way that's acceptable to the Fed? Uh, at, with, with rates where they're currently at,
1: Man, that's a really hard question, Zach, because I'm not an economist. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, I do hear you. I do hear you that, you know, rates are becoming, you know, economic activity prohibitive, right? <laughs> we, you know, the housing market came to a stop, <laughs> right? It was the hottest market in town. It was the only bull market in the, in the, that we could look, look at in the US and Canada. And it came to a grinding halt when rates popped off. Right. So I agree that is going to have it's going to cause um, issues in the economy, but there's always a bull market somewhere. Right. And, and I feel like that is why um, that is why the market may be able to sustain higher rates. And I don't know if the economy can, but I think the market may be able to because, you know, you see, like I said, you know, everything natural resources is up on the year and rallying still. So, you know, I I just look at it from a perspective of there's a bull market somewhere, and that's why higher yields aren't destroying the stock market, right? What they're doing is destroying technology. They're destroying all the growth stuff that everybody's been financing with zero interest rates for the past 20 years. And it seems to me like it makes sense for the money to come out of those sectors. At the same time, it also makes sense for the money to come flying into the E&P sectors, because as you pointed out earlier, they're still cheap. Yeah. Right with oil, it whether oil is 75, 85, 95. A lot of these EMP stocks are still cheap, and I think Exxon is reflecting that by trying to break through the top of its range, you know. So, <laughs> go ahead,
0: go ahead, it, no, it's and it should be. I mean, I, <laughs> I again, I mean, you look at what I it's just a perfect storm for these things, and guy, you know, you, you, you and I have been talking about this one for a while on the energy side. I mean, we were beating the drums on this over a year ago. Um. Yeah. But I, it, it's just also the setup for them, right? I mean, these things came into this lean and mean; they had to to survive for God's sakes the last eight years. You know, right. it was just one lashing after another, um, and so you just came into this situation with clean, you know, the survivors with clean balance sheets, ridiculously low valuations. A lot. Of, then the other one that's interesting, Tony, that I don't think gets enough look in the ENP space is the nat gas aspect. I mean, you look at the way right. these things are priced. And understandably, so, I think a lot of their nat nat gas assets got completely written off in the last ten years. You know what i mean because it was it was a break even for the or i mean maybe it was slightly profitable, but for much of the last 10, 12 years, the nat gas assets that these guys had were barely profitable if they were, and a lot of them were- i mean you know they all the pictures of a lot of these these producers burning nat gas off because they couldn't afford to they couldn't afford to get it to the to the you know to the well or excuse me they couldn't get it to the uh, to the tracks right they couldn't get it to to the ship it, it was too, it was more expensive to ship it basically than they could sell it for right um yeah. and then all of a sudden now those assets are cash flowing big time again uh i don't i it's it's um everybody talks about it it's kind of like price dislocation people are going i i hear this talk oh they've run too hot it's a crowded trade then you go back and look at them and you're like well, I mean, maybe people are talking about it, but you still I, we were looking at the S&P 500 yesterday and right now I think the energy sector makes up 5% weight yeah. in the S&P. Historically, yeah. you're like 11-12. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I, I I I cannot bring myself to get on that whole crowded trade uh uh narrative. I just I, there's no evidence of it. Do you think it's crowded?
1: Yeah, well, put it this way. I mean meaning um which trade is crowded? Oil
0: and that gas. Oh, EV, yeah. EV. You know, put it this
1: way. You know, it's, it's getting it's it's put it this way. I, th- I feel like it's becoming obvious. Um, right. And sometimes you don't have to be so paranoid about obvious trades being correct. Right now, I'm not saying that this is one of those times, but I feel like it could be. You know, we've got France. We've got pre- Francis President Macron on the tape right today saying Europe has made a historic error in critical infrastructure. Right. I mean, I, I wrote a note this morning about all the industrial that's industry that's coming apart in Europe. And it's finally in the FT. And now the, the freaking president is coming out and saying we have a critical error in, in infrastructure. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. the world sees that this move to net zero is going to be extremely bullish fossil fuels. No matter what, like whether we get there by 2030, which seems impossible or not it's still bullish fossil fuels. And that's like the 800-pound gorilla secret that the media or the propagandists won't let out of the bag. It's like, no matter what, if we're going to transition to electric power, it's going to take the king's ransom of crude oil to build that infrastructure. Yep, Yep. To get the copper out of the ground, to get the molybdenum out of the ground, to get the rare earth minerals out of the ground. You know what I mean? Like it it is a fossil fuel or natural gas fuel-intensive process. And so, you know, I'm like you, and I'm like, you know, I I look at it, I see those energy stocks are still so cheap. And on a sort of day to day basis, you know, you're afraid to buy the highs. And you sit back and you kind of zoom out from the screen and look at the thing over 30 years. And you're like, like you just said, like, these, these stocks can go back to being 15% of the S&P with no problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, refi-
1: like Look at how refiners are set up to profit now, Zach. Refiners were staring at crack spreads for 20 years between 5 and $10. The crack spread is now 30, but it's 60. Wow. Wow. Right? You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying they were, they were scraping pennies together, you know, uh, cracking gasoline and heating oil. And now it's a fucking wind. Excuse my language. You might have to zoom that. It's a windfall. It's yeah. a total windfall for them. And, and it's still a market. The market is setting that price. That's not them saying we're charging X Y Z margin. This is what the market's bearing.
0: Yeah, no, it's so- it's it's wild, man. Well, and the, you brought up a really good point too, which is now I'm speculating here, so speculation hat completely on. But one of the things that I'm thinking about on the E and P side is, you know, all this talk about are we in a recession? Whatever. My personal view is it's ridiculous to have that. Of course you're in a recession. Of course you're going into one. <laughs> I I mean I I just I think it's a ridiculous ridiculous argument. That being said, when the govern if this recession were to get nasty and I'm of the belief that it will, um and I could be 100% wrong on that, but we know the Fed is going to move back to a stimulative stance at some point, right? They're not going to let the, they're not going to let the market drop by 70 or 80%. You know, this isn't the beginning of a new Great Depression. But when I start looking at what governments are going to do to combat <laughs> that, I think you're probably going to come to the fore with infrastructure spending. And then if okay. you listen to them, I think a lot of that infrastructure spending is going to be pointed at net zero. Like you said, that infrastructure spending is going to be wildly bullish for commodities. Right. Um, so I, it's kind of one of those things when you look at it and you go, you know, as 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 unattractive as this space was four years ago, i feel like it's that much more attractive now um you know i it's i guess thank you government for it but do do you see that too tony i mean do you see that 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 you know the the way they're going to combat this economic weakness and again speculation on my part but it just seems kind of you know uh (laughs) seems kind of obvious to me that it's going to be that infrastructure spending and like you said you know talk about a massive catalyst for commodities
1: totally Totally, it's still the great rotation, Zach. That it, that is, um, you know, the the security that I created of the BCOM, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, divided by the Nasdaq. Yep. Right? Yeah, and, and that's the security that I want to be bullish because I believe with the attack on supply that commodities are going to be a better performer than technology. Your commodities are going to perform like technology did over the last twenty years.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right.
1: We're off. We're off the zero bound we're off that zero bound in interest rates, which changes everything, right? That changes everything for the markets. Like you said, it changes things for the economy. It changes everything for growth stocks. And it's still, if you look at the great rotation, like while it's back and forth, like the the price of the great rotation is 0.4, right? If you divide the BCOM by the NASDAQ, it comes out to 0.4. It is rallying off of something that was around 0.2 during the lockdown but it's been as high as 3.0, right? Meaning Dang commodities man. have been way more valuable than the NASDAQ. And I think that that's the world that we're heading back to. certainly not all at once or not over the course of a week, but over the course of a you know a year and a couple of years and a decade, I think we're going back to that type of uh, that type of valuing of commodities over not valuing technology stocks. I mean, we can see the social implications. Of big tech all over the place right now, right? You just got to kind of open your eyes. Um, I think their best days are behind them, and you know I think that yields are going to co- progressively continue to work their way higher, and technology is going to just have to work its way lower. And the only thing that's going to survive fossil fuels.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, I, you got to love markets. Are you, right? yeah. I mean, it's just it's amazing. Um, yep. Interesting thing. Now, this is a little bit again. You're a price action guy, so I don't, you know, I don't want to try to push you into valuation talk or something like that, but getting, getting into market trajectory itself. Um, And, and I, this is a, this is a question as much for me as it is the folks listening, I, you know, it, again, we we're forced to speculate here, but I just want to hear your thoughts on where the market was I, and where we think it's headed. One of the things we were looking at yesterday, and I've got some numbers here trying to pull in comps. We were looking at the last time that yields were this high. Uh, and you got to really go back to first, second quarter of 2007, right, um, where you had yields at this level. And I thought it was really interesting that 10-year yields, 2007, it, it was a noisy year for yields, but right around four and a half, 4.6. So, you know, 30 basis points, 25 basis points higher than we are right now, but pretty, pretty dang close. And at the peak of that market, you had, a, you, you had the S&P trading at 17.2 times earnings. Okay, you look at the S&P today with rates at the same level and you're trading at almost 20 times earnings. Um, There's a lot of talk about a bottom being in and that very well could be, right? I I think there's a lot of different things that could have put a bottom in stock. Maybe it's just just dollar strength. Maybe it's just international flows coming into our markets because they want dollar-denominated assets. But uh, there's a lot of talk about bottoms being in. You know, me and your favorite guy, uh kramer was recently talking about there's a lot of bad news priced into this market and it kind of left me scratching my head looking around going what on earth are you talking about we're trading again uh, yeah it's been a nasty year but since when was 19 and a half times earnings up the pain level for the s p 500 so what that's got me thinking is where can we go from here where do you think general market trajectory is um or is you know i just i would just love to hear your thoughts about where you think we're headed on the P.
1: yeah all right zach so i've been you know i've been kind of the, the vocal a vocal bowl down here um for a retracement rally mm-hmm. right i feel like um the timing of essentially the central banks being drawn out of the woodwork right to have to support their markets this massive reversal today in dollar yen. I mean, we've got a four sigma reversal on the tape and out, like outside reversal in dollar yen where dollar yen carved the new high and then collapsed two and a half percent. I mean, that is an intervention plain as day, right? So just to go back to that, all of these macro things are, are drawing along, all of these macro securities, the guilt market, the cable market, um, you know, now the yen market, The Japan, um, the JGB market, like central banks are causing, are having to come out and draw lines in the sand. If they're drawing lines in the sand, then I'm going to make a bet that risk assets are going to find a bottom around here. Now, they may not all be timed the same way. Like it may not be as easy as, oh, the UK, uh, the Bank of England is intervening by stocks. I mean, there's going to be a lot more. Um, there's going to be a lot of damage and a lot of volatility to deal with on the way out of this bottom here. But you know, if you were around in 2000 and 2008, you remember that the short covering rallies were the most astounding market dynamic things that you ever saw. I mean, we just saw one from June to July that spanned 15% in the S&P and 20% in the Nasdaq. Right, that was a huge recovery rally. Now we pop down to 35, 3600. We make a one day low of 3500 and then back into that range last week on a massive reversal day on Thursday. I'm going to tell you that's a good low for the short term. And I think that we're going to see a lot of violent back and forth for a little while because the price action still sucks. And there will always be a sector that gets a snowball thrown through the window when the curve is inverted like this and the economy sucks. But I think that we're the next, I don't know, four or five hundred points in the S&P are higher. And then once we retrace back up to forty two hundred or something like that, then we'll see where everybody stands. And I would probably look to turn the boat back bearish and short again. You know, so I'm really trying to trade this bear market aggressively. I think that we're in for a little bit of VIX bleed after the VIX has been propped up into the 30s for a couple of weeks. We've been seeing huge tick index prints on the downside that show that you know portfolio managers are just indiscriminately hitting bids, and we've seen indiscriminately indiscriminate bid hitting in the S and P for a month now, and it's still thirty seven hundred bid. You know, so that that's that's relevant to me that everybody's gotten bearish. If there if anything, you can identify an unbelievable bubble in bearish sentiment down here. Yeah. Right. If nothing else, you can just flip on your fin to it and start scrolling through the best known names and be like, oh, my God, everybody is Armageddon. Right. Everybody is like, oh, my God, you know, rates are so much higher. S and p has got to go lower. But we're still dealing with a market. Right. And if everybody's bearish, everybody's short, everybody's on one side of the boat. We're probably in for the next face melting rally led by natural resources. You know, so that's kind of how I'm looking at it, Zach. I'm thinking that we're going to see a recovery back over 4K. And then we'll see, you know, if, the, if good news starts coming out from there, maybe the Fed gets a chance to pivot when the S&P bounces up there. I don't know. Um, but it sure feels like commodities are off their highs, right? Natural gas is off its peak. It's taken grains with it. Metals have been trading like crap all year. The BCom is off its highs, right? There is room and reason now, finally, for yields to back off right? The big question has just been, why won't the bond market stop going down? And now maybe with this dollar yen reversal, now maybe there's a reason. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. I think we've got a big short covering rally coming, and then I got to take it one step at a time from there.
0: What What are you, a couple different things. A, um, I mean, shoot, I'm sitting here looking at the dollar index while we talk. Yeah. The dollar has basically traded in a $2 range already today. Yeah. I mean- looking at the volatility just on the DXY i mean it's astounding Well, in the last 3 minutes tony the dxy has been bouncing between 112 flat and 11220 now you're 11199 you're you're seeing 20 25 cent moves in yeah. minutes um what is the, the, so i i want to get your 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 view on dollar volatility because I I'm looking at it kind of centered around the fed. The other thing I do not understand it right now is the volatility and the messaging that the fed is out or the fed's putting out yesterday they have, and I'm forgetting who it was, but yesterday they had a fed member doing an interview and he goes, "Um, I think that there's room for significantly more, you know, more aggressive tightening because, you know, inflation just isn't settling down. Then today a wall street journal article comes out and goes uh, you know, says the fed may be ready to, quit hiking after the next hike it, 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 this is in 24 hours and you and i both know that these guys don't go to the bathroom without yeah. talking to each other and making sure what is with the volatility in the feds messaging
1: yeah you know it's tough i think they're they're reflecting the fact that they're a deer in the headlights right they're throwing they're lobbing test balloons out they're trying to see does the market think we're too hawkish does the market think we're too dovish you know they're making controversial statements um I think that they're, you know, begging for a little help from the commodities markets. You know, they've probably gotten a little bit, um, you know, this this round of economic weakness has certainly taken a lot of the heat off of commodities. But, you know, when you've got, you know, dollar yen with a five handle range today, you know, you've got, you know, seeing reversal type action all over the tape. You know, this is this is just as volatile as it gets, Zach. You know, I wish I had an answer in terms of dollar volatility. I would imagine that it stays with us for quite a while. I mean, the macro game is the only the only driver in town right now. So, you know, be be careful with it. I'm going to stay. You know, keep, I'm staying with the idea that the dollar is in an uptrend until it's not, um, and I'm staying with the idea that a lot of heat has come out of the commodity market. So, I'm, I'm I'm looking for a change of direction a little bit in the bond market. I'd like to see it rally, see rates go lower. And see stock market bounce, but then I'm talking my book now, you know that's just the way I see it
0: yeah well you you and me both man um <clears throat> so we're talking about the mechanics of the market going up, market going down, maybe it's one of these things i I just i I again, and you're you're the way you're looking at it probably makes a lot more sense, especially in this market. I'm just looking at this market from an earnings and evaluation standpoint, just sitting there going um." You know, if some of these issues that you and I talk about, you know, work themselves out, which chances are some of them will, things will settle down. Then at some point we got to focus on earnings. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in, in valuation of the market, uh, when I look at this backdrop going into next year, I, I just, and, and we've looked at it from one, one angle or the other tone. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I cannot figure out a way, especially if you X energy out of it, right? X commodities out of it. I'm just sitting there, scratching my head, going, you know, working the numbers, looking at different forecasts, trying to figure out a way where you see earnings that come in anywhere close to some of the estimates that are still out there on the streets for positive earnings on the S and P 500 next year. I just mm-hmm. don't see it, man. I, no,
1: they're going to <laughs> struggle. But remember that the downward cycle in the S and P always earn always ends with bad earnings, right? Oh, right? it, it always ends with bad earnings and positive stock responses, right? Like, look at look at uh you know, I don't know some financials reported this week, right. They weren't the greatest reports in the world, you know, a little bit, but you can argue there was mixed bag on either side. The financials are higher. Right. You know what right. I mean? So I'm just saying like, that's an initial tell, like there was definitely not blowout earnings on the upside, but the stocks are trading higher. Right. All that means to me is maybe they've been beaten up too much given what everybody's perception is,
0: mm. you know, mm. and
1: maybe they have a chance to hold here and rally, but you know, you look at everything and, 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 um, I I would think that that is going to be the way now that we're going to go through and bottom here with a lot of volatility where going through this earnings season, you're going to wake up every morning and there's going to be another snowball through the window, meaning another company that misses and opens up lower. And the rest of the market says, well, the S&P is in uh, recovery rally mode right now, so we're going to buy this stock down 5% on the day. And next thing you know, that the stock reported with bad news that opened down 5% on the day, closed unchanged. And over the next week, it's up 3 to 5%. Yeah.
0: Right?
1: Those, that's, how this, that's how markets bottom. When stocks start going up on lousy news, I feel like we're set up perfectly for that over the next several weeks.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different, but it's somewhat reminiscent of, uh, you know, it's funny. I'm sure you know this, but the record high PE ratio all time on the S&P 500 happened smack dab in the middle of the 08 crisis, right? Wow. Right, because yeah. it, it just er, bank earnings went negative. S&P just earnings fell off a cliff. Yeah. And like you said, the stocks caught a bit at that moment. And so you had record high priced earnings ratio right in the middle of the financial crisis. Maybe that's something we're looking at again. The only difference I see this time is to me, it really it, it increasingly is starting to shape up quite a bit like the 70s. Um, yeah. Yeah. you know, it, it's going to be different this time. It's not going to be, you know, exactly the same, but you, when you get through that, I just think that, man, I, I just see the potential for a really range bound market because you, I mean, you look at this knee jerk reaction of us, I, and I think probably a lot of it's retail money and, and then, you know, your Kathy Woods of the world, but just this knee jerk reaction, trying to pick bottoms in these tech stocks. I just don't see it, man. I, I just, like you said, I, I think yeah. I think at best tech continues to be an underperformer yeah. um, and I just think their earnings are going to come under massive pressure. Yeah. Um, Dude, the, you, thing
1: of the, the way I'm looking at tech now though, Zach, is it from a trading perspective is that they might be the best performers of the la- of the next two weeks or two months. Right. You know right. What I mean, like they're, they're so beat up by the law of small numbers. You just might see some unbelievable percentage returns over the, over the tech bounce. Yeah. I mean somebody these stocks can bounce 25% and still be at, you know, massive resistance and in a bear market. You know what I mean? Like 25% yeah. higher from here and they're just at resistance, but 25% is a fun trade to chase, you
0: know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean I think Netflix is a perfect example of that. Netflix is now up 22% on the week yeah. At, yeah. A- after announcing a quarter that saw EBITDA down 8% year over year. Yeah.
1: Right. It's just, you know, all, all it is is the stock saying like they've taken all they're going to take out of
0: it. Yeah, for so now they,
1: they, took, they took it from seven hundred to two hundred, and if it comes out with another earnings report and there's a dry heave on
0: the downside,
1: the stock's going to go up twenty percent from here.
0: Yeah, and that's that's exactly what happened. Hey, so flipping a flipping over, man. opportunity, man. Yeah, no, it, it, and this this is why we are, I believe, right now in the last couple of days we are the least short we have been pretty much all year uh we got a couple couple small hedges in place but it just you know you hate to rely on guts and rely on feel but you're you know gut feelings but you're looking at this market same thing it just it, it's had every opportunity every fundamental reason to crater and it just refuses to um and i i, I you know from where i'm sitting here today i i think that's telling you something and uh it seems like a good time to get out of the way. Like you said, I just I feel that big counter trend rally knocking on the door. Um it, it's flipping over to China, man. It, now this is a black box. A, how much work do you put in looking at what's going on in China? And then B, when I look at what's going on in rate markets, when I look at what's going on in the dollar, I cannot help but to think that they just they've got to be under serious duress, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, I, I would say so.
1: Um, sorry, Zach, I just had to answer something. I'm my- like, oh,
0: no, you're sorry. fine, man.
1: I, don't, I apologize. Sorry about that. I just had to talk to somebody um, get me back on track here.
0: It's right, just to talking about China, right? Oh, Looking kind of, at yes, yes. Sorry, sorry. No, no. I, I
1: had an answer to your question in my head. Um, you know, you, you can only take what comes out of there at face value, unfortunately, right? Everybody's skeptical about every piece of data that comes out. In my opinion, I feel like they're keeping the lock. They were keeping their zero COVID policy intact to use, to be able to wag the global economy, right? If you notice when the heat came, when the heat got turned up on Biden about inflation, all of a sudden there was a lockdown in China, right? right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like China is helping Biden manage his inflation issue with the lockdowns, right? They're, they're saying, oh, we got a couple of cases here. We're going to lock down several million more people. The whole world says, oh, slower economy. The market reacts to that, right? So I don't spend any time studying China. I just try to study the reactions by the markets to the moves that they make, you know? And I think the only way that you can keep an eye on China is understand that they probably, as we've been told, You know, infiltrated all areas of our, you know, academia, government and, uh, you know, media. So it's something to really be careful of. And in terms of them as a market player, you know, they're like having Shrek stomping around, man, you don't know what's real or what's what's fake, but you got to take their comments at face value, because that's what moves markets. So it's a little bit tricky trying to keep an eye on them. I, I try not to, you know, spend my life worrying about China. The U.S. markets have been so volatile and so rewarding that I don't even have to look past our borders to make money, which is nice. So, you know, I'm really focused on the story here. And, the, and the China is just sort of following the narrative about, you know, how they're driving, you know, how they're driving the world towards, you know, battery power. And they are the world's biggest carbon emissions um, violator. Right. right so it's kind of like you're you know you're dealing with a totally totally fake and a totally fugazi market player here in china
0: yeah no it's it's that that talk about a black box and an opaque picture man so yeah. what else what else do you see out there that we need to pay attention to oh one other thing i want to tell you now this thing is you and i have discussed this before uh and so i'm not I'm not trying to push you somewhere you don't want to go because in the past you've just said, Nope, I'm not going there. I don't like <laughs> touching it. Nat gas, man. I, I mean, this thing is like trying to ride a wild greased boar.
1: Normally. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: the volatility in this thing has just been, I mean, even for Nat gas, it's been incredible. What now I was looking at it today. Now you're back below five bucks here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh What's driving that? What's happening in that gas markets?
1: Well, I think that the sort of the way that it looks like it panned out was, you know, we were concerned about Europe having enough storage going into winter and being beholden to Russia for their nat gas. It looks like that that sort of drunken sailor buyer that we saw over the summer in natural gas that bought it up to ten dollars here in the U.S. and bought it up to two hundred euro per megawatt hour on the dutch ttf i would say that it's pretty obvious that that was europe filling up their tanks Mm. right so Mm. europe got in there filled up their tanks right as soon as we saw that spike in natural gas back off the highs the whole media covered the story where europe's got enough natural gas and storage to get through winter so they won't be beholden to putin that's great what does that mean if the drunken sailor buyer leaves the ring prices are going to probably back off. And then you had the big technical breakdown in U.S. natural gas with a sort of crash pattern below $6. And now you're seeing this all unwind, right? So what's going to happen is Dutch TTF prices are going to level off at a level down here and catch everybody asleep. And they're going to come back and rally again. And the U.S. market is probably going to find a low and, and, and figure out a place to settle in and then rally behind it. Because if you look at the damage that's being done to European industry um, and basically, you know, the Belgian PM coming out, right, coming right out and saying, you know, we are facing the deindustrialization of Europe due to this energy crisis. Yeah, you know, you're talking about huge chemical crackers that, you know, are facing shutdowns and the shutdowns are permanent and unreversible. You know, there's so much industry coming offline. There's steel capacity, steel making capacity coming offline, metal smelting coming offline. I mean, the whole place is coming to a grinding halt. So, you know, the natural gas is the tip of the spear, and this problem is going to come back. You know, the natural gas trade is over, but the crisis is in the third inning. You know, so we're going to have to see what happens. But, you know, maybe Europe gets through this winter and then has, you know, an issue over next summer and next winter. But the crisis isn't going away. And if they have to continue to shut in industrial capacity, man, it paints a really, really scary picture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then that kind of gets me back. I mean, that kind of does a, a loop back around what we were talking about. And this is what one of the things that troubles me. I think that everybody is looking so myopically here at the U.S. economy, and rightly so, we're the biggest, you know, the biggest boy on the block. That being said, forty percent S and P revenues come from overseas. You you yeah. start looking at European consumers and then Asian consumers, and yeah. it's a head scratcher to think of how I, you know, a lot how these yeah. earnings aren't just going to get beat up.
1: Oh, no, they're gonna, you know, I mean, look how much stronger the dollar is, right? The exporter is going to have to figure that out. So, you know, they're going to have to account for that somewhere. Right? Yeah. That's
0: cool. And that's, I just, I, and that's one of the things I'm having a tough, obviously, you know, what you said is just, it's just 100% true. There's no arguing it that markets are going to bottom well before earnings do. At the yeah, same man. time, I'm just looking at this mess going, God, it's just hard for me to buy the idea that we're going to bottom around 20 times earnings. Well,
1: on the S and P is on a 25% discount from where I was trading last year. To get yeah. Cheap.
0: Yeah. But you I mean, know? look at, but, but look at the drivers of that right? I mean, the, the drivers of that, of, of that earnings boom, especially that we had over the last two years, because I, I think we were putting up right, re- didn't we post record margins and earnings last year?
1: Yeah, yeah. All that post COVID demand, right? The, yeah. Post COVID demand that was really good to the economy. It put a couple of bubbles on top of a couple of different stock indices, right? Like put a bubble right on top of the housing market, right? Everybody was all at the same time, everybody was moving out of Um, moving out of blue cities, moving into their home office, building their home gym, interest rates were still at zero. And then that changed overnight.
0: I know it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Go
1: ahead. There's still trapped length up there. In my opinion. I mean, there's a huge bubble in housing. That's probably got to come undone.
0: Yeah, it's, it has been, I mean, again, no surprise to guys like us that we're watching rates and everything. Having said that watching the market, the housing market just hit a wall. I, it's, it's, it's been a jaw dropper again, not a surprise when you see what's going on with rates, but yep. sweet Moses, I, I was looking at tone. I was looking at the number of uh, houses, right? Just the number of sales to, 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 to find a historical comp. It's not the financial crisis based on the, on the speed and, and, and turnover rate of what do you call it? I just, the you know, how many houses are selling on a weekly or monthly basis. You got to go back to may of 2020 when it was illegal to have an open house right that's the pace at which real estate is moving right now right yeah. uh it's it's a jaw dropper anyway ma'am i know you got to run we've soaked up a bunch of your time what else is are we paying attention i mean the the market volatility is unbelievable i've never navigated a market this crazy yeah. um what what are we not talking about where 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 do you think the puck is going and what should we what do we need to address here in closing that we haven't already covered
1: Let me try to think of something if there's an area that we haven't touched on, Zach, because I really believe that in times of high volatility, you can try to keep it simple and and trade the trades that are developing in front of you. And by the trades that are developing in front of me, I think of things like, you know, the S&P just just fell from 4,400 to 3,600 in a straight line. Right. Right. During that period of time energy stocks remained above their 200-day moving averages, broadly speaking, right? So if I'm looking at this sector that's in a bullish uptrend and I've got the S&P backing off to a level that I think it's going to hold from, and I've got these energy stocks that are still in a bull market and sitting here into support, but the best performers on the year, I'm going to say that those are going to be the ones that are going to finish the year on their highs up the most that they've been on December 31st. And I just think that, that's the, that that is really the simplest and, and best way that I can figure out how to, how to have somewhat of an edge in taking some risk, right? We know that Biden's selling the SPR around midterms and that it's probably going to let up on that idea after midterms because it's going to be too late. If that's the case, man, I mean, oil is literally and oil stocks are still being held down like a beach ball underwater, you know, so I'm I'm a little bit myopic right now, because I feel like this trade is lining up so well. But versus versus the opportunities in the field, you know, maybe you get some big bang for your buck out of being long tech for a bounce out of here or something like that. But it still goes against my sort of fundamental backdrop of wanting to be long commodities and short tech with the idea that rates are going to stay higher for longer. So that's why I'm going to stick to my knitting, I'm going to stick to the energy trade that I've piled into, and I've been, you know, kind of upsizing on this energy dip, and I'm going to let the chips fall where they may, right? Yeah. If, the, if, they, if, if they wind up breaking these uptrends with another 20% slide in the S&P, maybe they'll get me out, right? But the S&P is going to, like, I don't know what you would do next. If you got short down here, you're looking for another 10 or 20%, and now you're seeing stocks like Netflix rally and Pfizer's rallying and Schlumberger is reporting and rallying. And I just don't know how you're going to make money on the short side from here with everybody so negative. So yeah, that's my kind of market wrap for the for the for the last word, if you don't mind.
0: I love it, pal. Well, hey, thank you for joining us, man. Great. It's been great catching up. Been way too long. Uh, and Tone, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Uh, the, the morning navigator, I've said this, I, I know you've got different pay levels, but I still start my day every single day reading that. And I, I just, I, I think it's crazy cheap. Uh, um, oh, you're
1: too sweet, Zach. I really appreciate, um, someone with your market presence, um, that, that latches onto my note and finds value in it on a regular basis. That makes my day.
0: Hey, well, man, it just, you just make my life a lot easier, buddy. How, how do people, it's <laughs> good to hear. And 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 I have said this before, and I and I'm not pumping sunshine here, but I just think it's such a great summary. If you're trying to keep up on economics and markets, if you trade your own account or you just want to know what's going on, if you haven't figured out, you're not going to get it from CNBC. What is the best way the folks can sign up for that Morning Navigator, and then some even more of your other services? Kind of give us the rundown, would you?
1: Sure, Zach. I really appreciate you giving me the chance to do that. You know, you can find me on Twitter at tgmacro. TGMACRO. You can go to my website, TGMACRO.com. I've got samples of my newsletter up there that I keep relatively updated so that they're pretty fresh. Um, I offer the the morning navigator for $800 a year in the product section. I have a more robust package, um, my point lookout package, which includes the TGMACRO Slack channel that has um, developed a life of its own. Uh, we've got a lot about 150 ninja traders in there talking about making money every day. And it's really exciting. Um, and that's where people can find me, Zach. My clients have been happy. We're on the right side of the ball for now. And I'm looking to finish the year strong, man. And I really appreciate you giving me a voice on your podcast like this.
0: Hey, you bet, brother. Appreciate you coming on, man. Keep up the great work. Uh, I'm going to be starting my morning out the same way I always do reading the, reading the navigator and, uh, we'll get you back on, uh, I think there's gonna be plenty to talk about in the world of macro for quite some time, buddy. So yeah, they sure will. And I am
1: <laughs> happy to come back on whenever you like, my man. I really appreciate it. Great to yeah, talk to you
0: today. You bet, bud. All right. Thanks for coming on. And you guys, we got to cut it off right there. Thank you for listening. And we've got other great interviews lined up for the next couple of weeks. You're not gonna to wanna to miss. So stay tuned. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.